0: for more humility like you don't want to show that off right (laughs) I understand But, but is humility part of your ongoing asking longing in terms of your relationship with the Lord well I want to work with you from Hebrews the book of Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 Begin verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3, which is a quotation from Psalm 95. NIV begins, today, if you hear his voice, do not grow stubborn as in the rebellion. This quotation of Psalm 95 is a a history psalm that's helping Israel remember her history and the leading of God's people out from Egypt across the Sinai Desert. Those opening words today, if you hear his voice, if you hear God's voice, if you're taking notes or if you mark up your Bible, I suggest you circle that word if. Because as I read that, it begs the question, well, is God speaking today? Some of you will know the name A.W. Tozer. This is, I think, my favorite Tozer quote. A silent God suddenly began to speak in a book And when the book was finished, he lapsed into silence again, forever? And now we read in a book what God said when he was, for a brief moment, in a talkative mood? No, God is continuously articulate. I love that last phrase. God, by nature, is continuously articulate. God is continuously speaking. And and I I presume, where did Amy get to? But but for those of you who who were at the retreat, that's what Gary was working on from The Sound of Things. God is continuously speaking. The issue is, are we listening? If you want to cross-reference, Hebrews 12, verse 25, the writer says, See that you do not refuse the voice that speaks. Verb tense, present active could be equally translated is speaking. It's God's heart to make his heart known, to reveal more and more of the love that he has for us continuously. The Revised Standard translates Hebrews 3 7, oh that you would listen to him today. The New Living Bible today You must listen to His voice. Well, that because of what follows. Again, a review of Israel's history, of this desert wandering, and in that then the tension between faith and unbelief. The key word through this passage, Hebrews 3 and 4, is rest. In Greek, the word is katauposin, two Greek words used ten times in this passage. Kata, to go into, and pausin, it's the root we get pause from. To rest means to go into pause. So think of life's remote, play. Some of you are not fast forward, you do well to slow down a little bit. Pause. That's what the writer has in mind here, ten times, over and again. Pause. Except in Hebrews 4, nine, a Sabbath rest still awaits the people of God. Now, we miss it in English. This is a different word. It's sabbatismos, not kataposim. Different word because this rest we will not know on this side of earth. This sabbatismos, this Sabbath rest, we'll only know when we're dead in Jesus or he returns. This is our, big word, eschatological future. We don't know this until the end times. This is the rest that we know out of Revelation 21, the new heaven, the new earth. When there will be no more suffering, no more pain. When God wipes away every tear that's the rest. That's our future, our eternal future. But we won't know that here. The rest that we know here is the kataupasin, the pause. Hebrews 4.10, anyone who has entered God's rest rests from his own work as God did from his. This isn't so much a place like sabbatismos as it is an internal disposition. It's not so much getting to somewhere, if you will, it's being with someone. Psalm 91, for instance, he who lives in the shadow of the Almighty, that kind of abiding with the Almighty, lives, not just visits, occasionally. Then Hebrews 4.11, almost a paradoxical statement, labor to rest. Make every effort to rest. The verb's an infinitive. That means we're going to be continuously laboring to rest. You're not going to get it settled and sorted tonight and thereafter be able to rest for the rest of your life. Sorry, were it so easy. You're going to be working at this infinity and beyond. The thing is, the writer doesn't tell us how. You may have a study Bible with you. On your iPhone, you might have a little note that you can check that might take you to Matthew 11:28. 28, that wonderful declaration of Jesus, Come to me, and I will make you miserable. My yoke is crushing and unrelenting, and you will die exhausted. Now, if you're new here, that's, that's not the invitation of Jesus. But if you're old here, there are times when that's kind of how it feels. feels that way because we've taken the initiative and we've tried to do this thing in our own strength, our own wisdom, working off our own agenda. No, the invitation to come unto me and I will give you rest. But that invitation is indirect. It has a context and that context is a direct contrast. I, I, I'm, I, I still have a Bible, book kind of Bible. I, I'm not disparaging the electronic, it's great, but I, I like paper. Cross the margin. Two column margin in my Bible. Cross from the invitation of Jesus, come to me and I'll give you rest. Matthew eleven twelve. From the time of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violent men take it by force. The history of revival, that's one of the characteristic texts that's preached. With real abandon and passion, and uh, I don't know how many years it go be now. Fifteen years ago? When did Braveheart come out? Let's call it fifteen years ago. This was a great text to preach. You get the big sword and you paint half your face blue, and Kingdom of, you know, who will rise up and take the kingdom by force and freedom? You know, it was a lot of fun. It's great, except it completely misses Jesus' point. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom has suffered violence. As in, now the kingdom no longer suffers violence. Because in Jesus, it's a new day. By way of context, the rabbis in Jesus' day were teaching that Israel, if Israel could keep the entire law for one day, Messiah would come. If they could just get it right for one day, it would all be over. Messiah would come. And it'd be wonderful, sabbatismos. So they would organize it. And this Tuesday, nobody messes up, okay? Ten Commandments. We're all going to keep the Ten Commandments on Tuesday. And the 630 other laws that are there, we're all going to keep those. So no lobster, no shrimp, okay? Just one day, Just lay off the lobster for Tuesday, okay? And then, sabbatismos. We can all go home, okay? Tuesday. Well, Wednesday comes and Messiah hasn't. Which one of you? Which one of you have lobster on your breath? because now we've got to do it all over again, again. There's a certain violence to that, isn't there? This militant keeping of the law, trying to achieve God's righteousness. And Jesus says, not anymore. If all of that's worn you out, come to me and rest. That wonderful declaration, Zechariah 4, 6, not by force, not by might, but by my spirit. What are we learning? We're learning of the Father as revealed by the Son. Jesus, in that invitation, says, learn of me. Learn that kind of intimacy that I have with Father. Learn how to hear His voice. Learn how it is, how to discern how it is He's moving in our midst. What it is He's calling forth. Learn that that His love for our friends, His love for those with whom we work with, is far greater than ours will ever be. Learn that it is His heart to bless. Learn to see as He sees. Come into agreement with all that He's calling forth. I went out and bought Eugene Peterson's paraphrase the message for the way in which he renders this wonderful invitation of Jesus I, I'm, I'm, I'm a scholar I like to study the word, so a paraphrase doesn't work too well for me but, but Eugene really gets it right for this one are you tired are you burned out on religion Walk with me. Work with me. Learn how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That last phrase, I I was happy to put down the 25 bucks. Well done, Eugene. God bless you. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Some of you crying out, you want you desperate to know God's will for your life. That's it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. As you bring more and more of your life into alignment with that, your next steps will unfold without any striving on your part. Well, again, this section, Hebrews 3 through chapter 4, This rhythm of of faith and obedience and of stubbornness and rebellion. Chapter 3, verse 19, the the writer, Unbelief prevented them from entering the promised land. There are scholars who think, who, who are absolutely certain, that it's possible to cross the Sinai Desert In three months, Israel saw a shortcut. Took forty years. In many ways, that's the Lord's mercy. If if we if we think we've got this one figured out, He'll watch. What the writer calls forth is faith and trust. And uh, in weather not like tonight, unlike tonight, a little bit more snow, a couple, three, four inches more. First church I served was in rural New Brunswick. It snowed, this same kind of heavy, wet stuff. And uh, I was due at a pastor's retreat couple three hours away got up early wife got in the car and uh, we headed out this just two-lane highway and the bit of traffic that had been was enough to squish the snow into the middle of the highway and at the time um, we were communicationally challenged and th- some of you won't understand this but I asked for an audio cassette. They have no idea. These are way before CDs. Way. And iPods even Bill Gates hadn't dreamed of. Anyway, you kept them in the glove compartment. Because we were challenged like we were, I wasn't getting any help at all. So, and I we drive on the other side, remember. So i am got my hand on the steering wheel, I've got the glove box open, I'm fishing around for the audio tape that I want. And we're going around this long sweeper of a corner. And my wife didn't think I was paying sufficient attention. So she put her hand on the wheel to help. And I let her know that I really didn't need any help, but I appreciate the offer. And uh, there was a bit of this sort of power struggle taking place. and. Um, She gave the wheel a bit of a jerk, and that put us into the heavy, wet gluck in the middle of the road. At which point, my brand new little Civic went into rebellion. And the, the, the tail wanted to be the head. And then the head wanted to be the tail. And I did seven donuts on this highway. There's no traffic coming. I had the road all to myself, the highway all to myself, and I used all of it. and on the last the back wheels caught soft gravel on the side and we rolled down into the ditch. Steep ditch. There was already about four feet of snow so it was kinda like slow motion over and over and over and over down this hill seven times. Ended up upside down. I asked if my wife was hurt, she said no. And she said, should I undo my seatbelts? And I said, yes, and she did, and she went, I rolled, well, up the window, crawled out, helped her out, surveyed my new Civic, and every quarter panel was dented but one. everything was dented. I was so angry, I scooched down into the snow and I rocked the car and rolled it over. My wife didn't say anything. Roofs all kind of caved in and opened the doors and kicked it kinda up. And by this point, there was a filling station at the top of the hill, and the guy had been pumping gas and had seen us roll over. So by the time I'd done body work, he'd come down and hitched onto us and yanked us out. And um, there wasn't any glass broken. So we got in the car and we drove to the passage. If you take a Coke can and munch it and then kind of pull it, that's what the car looked like. That, for me raises all of these issues of faith and trust, of rebellion and stubbornness. And over all of it, that big C word, control. Who's in control? See, spiritually, When we ask Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord, that means we're giving control of our lives over to Him. It means we get out of the driver's seat and we scooch over and He takes the wheel. That's why for some of us, when we come to the Lord, He turns us right around because we were heading in the wrong direction direction. He actually says, "Um, life is this way. And that's why things look so radically different. Now, now, Now some of you weren't making a complete mess of your life like I was. You're okay. You're living a good life. But you understand that in the light of eternity, even if you miss it by one degree, come eternity, you missed it. And Jesus didn't make a lot of correction, but there's still his control of your life. If we can trust him, then we can rest. We really do believe he knows where he's taking us. We can rest. Trouble is, when unbelief rises up, we, we want to help because he's very busy. There's all that stuff in the Middle East, and, and you know, sometimes it feels like he's just not paying attention to our life and where we're going. And so, and so you know, especially when he's not looking, we, we, we want to help steer from over here, right? I can see on some of your faces, you go, oh, no, that would cause a wreck every time. Well, God bless you. While he's not looking, you've slipped your foot over. and you're, you Because know, there's way more horsepower. We could go way faster than we're presently going. It does not need to take this long. And some of you go, oh, no, it's going too fast. Bless your heart. Who's got the hand on the parking brake? Faith and trust enables you to rest, you can get it settled. Jesus really does know what he's doing with your life, even if it doesn't feel like it to you. And If we are praying unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, Why do you then think you ought to understand what it is he's doing with your life? You just prayed that he'd do more than you can ask or imagine, immeasurably more. And then you want to confine him to that which you can comprehend? The invitation is to rest. one of the issues that have to get settled if we're going to know the rest that he purposes. Is God's loving kindness, God's faithfulness enough to cover your life's circumstances? Whatever it is you're facing, It's God's loving kindness and God's faithfulness enough to cover your circumstances. If if you can trust that, then you can know the Psalm 21, verse 7, the loving care of the Most High God keeps me unshaken. Psalm 131 verse 2 I am calm and quiet like a weaned child on his mother's breast that's rest Hebrews 4:11 make every effort labor to rest I took that verse for a long prayer walk. I heard in my spirit the Lord say, one of us is going to work, and one of us is going to rest. You choose. And then he said, Oh, and by the way, the one who works is responsible for the miracles. How many of you know miracles are really hard work? How many of you have been really successful at work in miracles? How many of you just realize why it is you're so tired? How many of you know that God's been practicing for a while now? And that he's actually pre- gotten pretty good at miracles. One of us works. One of us rests. You choose. See again, God's really patient. If we want to be the ones trying to work out the miracles, he'll watch. He'll wait. They don't call him the ancient of days for nothing. I I kind of sometimes I think that that. Somehow they video our attempts at Miracle, and, and the Trinity watches those kind of like funniest home videos Friday nights, you know. See what they're up to now? That's just, that's a riot. Any of you ever heard of Nathaniel Bottich? Didn't think so. I was reading a book on the history of navigation And Bottich was a a sea captain in the days of the tall ships and was sailing from England across to the States. And uh, he hit the doldrums, that place in season where there's no wind at all. These tall ships, these canvas sails, just hanging, limp. And Bottich got the brilliant idea of sailing by ash breeze loaded the sailors into the rowboats, the lifeboats, tied ropes from the rowboats to the, say, the tall ship, and the guys rowed. The oars were made of ash, and so the phrase, sailing by ash breeze. It took four hours of rowing to generate any momentum whatsoever, and in the next four hours, they usually were able to move the ship about half a nautical mile. When I read that, I understood so much of my experience in pastoral ministry. Now, Bottich wasn't trying to get anywhere. But he didn't want the sailors just sitting. So he's staving off mutiny. And again, I understood a bit pastoral ministry. That This church, this thing we call church, this glorious tall ship, is not intended to be rowed. our strength. We're to set sail, catch the wind of the Spirit. Totally different issue, set of issues. John 3:3, 3, 3, flesh only gives birth to flesh, it's spirit that gives birth to spirit. If you're going to try and row this thing, all you're going to get is a decent set of shoulders and some really good calluses. You're not going to get anywhere in terms of the kingdom. <sighs> Well, Hebrews 4.12 is not disconnected from this call to rest. The Word of God is alive and active, cutting more keenly than any two-edged sword, piercing so deeply. It divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discriminating the thoughts and purposes of heart. sword of the Spirit dividing soul and spirit, discriminating the thoughts and purposes of mind and heart. I had the privilege of preaching in Degendorf, Germany, and this host pastor, bless his heart, really wanted to see revival come to Germany. And he'd been to all manner of different conferences. And, and that's a good thing, to be hungry after the Lord. But unfortunately, his was more zeal than discernment. And it was easy to tell that the congregation was quite exhausted with all of the zigzagging that he'd taken them on, conference after conference, and what the new thing was. and and. Um, Rightly, so they were rather skeptical. I took this pastor out, or he, rather, he took me out very kindly for a meal at the end of the conference. And I still remember what I had. This is way back Oxen fillet mit Pfefferlingen. Um, it was brilliant. Anyway, in the midst of the meal, this guy is just talking about how exhausted he is. I see in my mind's eye. um, Try not chop chicken wings on a cutting board and a big sort of cleaver thing, and whack and bing and whack and bing, and then all of a sudden it changes, and I, I take the chicken wing and just go, and and there's this wonderful oh, and take another wing and just go. Because in every joint, every wing, there's a bit of cartilage. And rather than hacking away at bone, if you let the knife find the cartilage, you just (sniffs) straight through the cartilage. I shared the vision with this pastor, and he went, Yeah. I said, well, I wonder if one of the reasons why you're not so exhausted is lots of zeal, but you've just been hacking away at things rather than attending to what the Spirit of God is calling forth. The sword of the Spirit rightly dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. That differentiation of what we are wanting to generate to the glory of God. and What it is the Spirit is calling forth. Coming into agreement with that. Tonight is the 19th anniversary of what the Lord began at the Toronto Airport Vineyard, January 20th, 1994. Some of you don't even know a day when that wasn't. Ah, that blows my mind. Anyway, October '94, we held the first Catch the Fire conference. Rented a big hotel. There were over 3,000 people there, and uh, it was a it it was a great time. Um, a time, a season when so many were taking their rest in the love of God. You did not pray for somebody unless you had a catcher because people were just dropping. And, and catching made it as safe a place as we knew how. As we did very often, we prayed for pastors and their spouses first, and so we would called. There were hundreds of pastors come forward. I was praying for this guy, he went down really early. I was praying for his wife, and while I was praying for his wife, I felt this tug on my pant leg. And I looked down. This, this guy's eyes are just like this. He goes, I can't get up. I said, actually, it happens quite a bit. Just rest in the love of God. And I started praying for his wife again. and He said, no, you don't understand. I can't move. All I can move is my hand. I cannot get up. I go, yeah, I, I, do, I do understand. Just just rest. Rest in the love of God. started to pray again. I thought he was going to pull my trousers down. He said, I cannot get up. I said, "Do you think the Lord's trying to tell you something?" And he went. Oh. This is the end of the morning session. We'd stack the chairs for ministry time. We all went out for lunch. We came back from lunch. We set up the chairs around him, we had the afternoon session, we stacked the chairs, had ministry time, we all went out for supper, we came back from supper, set up the chairs around him, we had the evening session, we stacked the chairs, we had ministry time. Security had to drag him out of the building. Well, Catch the Fire became an annual conference, year later, same building. I'm crossing the foyer. I see this guy coming on a beeline straight for me. As soon as he got near, I went like this. And he said, you do remember me. And I said, oh yeah. He said, I wanna thank you. He said, when you asked, do you think the Lord's trying to tell you something? He said, it's like a yoke of striving broke from around my neck. He said, I have never known such fruitfulness in ministry as I have this year. Prior, I was working for Jesus. I've never known what it's like to work with Jesus. Never worked harder, but never seen the kind of fruitfulness and had a sense of the Lord's presence. See, this rest is not passivity. This is not sit on your bum, suck your thumb till Jesus comes. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm calling for. This is a laying down of our control, our agendas, our drivenness, our need to make something happen, and attending to what He's calling forth And then coming into agreement with that and following obediently his lead, his control. Now for most of us, letting go of control at least calls up the fear of our inner demons rising up our worry, our mistrust. God isn't able. God may be in control of everybody else's life, but not mine. His loving kindness doesn't cover my circumstances. All of that rubbish. Does your Heavenly Father love you with an unfailing love? Does your heavenly Father hold your life circumstances? And is he faithful in preserving you and carrying you through? If you can declare a yes in your heart of hearts, then you can rest. Knowing that he is working. Immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. In and through your life circumstances. However grim they may be. Well, some of you may be, some of you are, I can see. um, The Spirit of God has convicted you of your initiatives. going to be moving into a prayer time I don't mind I don't care whether you deal with the Lord where you're sitting whether you come whether you kneel you folks are Anglican outward invisible sign inward spiritual grace sacramental movement kneel lay yourself down as a declaration that you don't want to be in control any longer Some may want to lie yourself down. Most of us rest lying down. Some of you are dead dog tired. Lie down. Receive the love of God. Let the love of God wash over you. See, some of us are so desperate to make something happen, we'll we'll settle for just about anything. Some of you understand, you've, you've, you have had your hand on the steering wheel just a bit. Some of you, I, I watched your faces, you've had a wreck or two. Some of you aren't quite sure whether or not your hands are on the steering wheel. Um, dust it for fingerprints. Some of you are saying, all oh, well and good, but how do I keep my hands off? easy keep them raised in worship can we have the worship team back please guys you did a great job thank you lead us worship is the easiest way i know to keep these control issues straight and um i'm not sure where they're going to take us but um, that song I Surrender All it's not I Surrender Some it's not I Surrender Sometimes we want to know the rest that the Lord purposes and the release of kingdom miracle in and through us He's the one that works. We're the ones that rest and respond to all that He's calling forth. Let's pray. Father, in your word, you gave the apostle that prayer that we would know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of your love. That we would know it, though it's beyond knowledge. That we would know that your love for us, for each of us, is unbounded, that your love for each of us is immeasurable, that we would know that your love for us is limitless, that we would know it and be filled with your very fullness. That we would know that you do purpose immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And that the revelation of your sovereign purpose would bring glory to Jesus. Lord, may that be our heart's cry. To know that fullness. To live in the knowledge of your boundless love for us. And from that knowledge... Trust. And so know the peace that passes understanding. To know a peace that even bypasses our understanding. A peace that enables us to rest in your faithfulness. A rest that opens for us joy unspeakable. A joy that isn't compromised or diminished by fear or anxiety or a sense of helplessness. Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, continue to... to set us free. To loose our hearts and our hearts' affections if needs be. Lord, as we go from here, continue to teach us Call us to those unforced rhythms of grace. And so know the fullness that you purpose for and from our lives. Thank you, Lord. We bless your stand together, shall we? we enter into worship together, but thank you, Guy, for such a richness tonight of calling us to know the rest of God. And, 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 and if you sense the Lord saying, I need to come into that rest tonight, well, and just in a moment as we worship, we'll